This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you? I'm glad we could connect. And I'm really excited to have Hans Senha on the show today. Um, Hans, as you know, was a prosecutor in New Orleans and also a defense attorney in New Orleans. He is a, a well-published uh, scholar, talked about uh, Emmett Till on one of our previous shows. Always great to have him on, to, on as a guest. Good morning, Liz. Glad to be here. Oh, thank you, Professor Sinha. We are very glad that you've come on. Today, we're going to talk about double jeopardy and the recent Supreme Court ruling. Um, you know, that's, uh, this seems to be a favorite of uh, TV procedural criminal shows, but tell us where our concept of uh, double jeopardy, where does it come from? Well, I think it's a favorite on, on TV shows because it is such an easy concept to understand until you get into the weeds in terms of the legal um, technicalities of it. But it comes from the Fifth Amendment, and, and it says that no person shall, quote, be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy for life or limb, unquote, meaning that you cannot be tried more than one time for the same, uh, and here the term's important offense. So, for example, if, um, if, if I'm stopped, say, by the police and say I'm a prior felony conviction here in Mississippi and they find a gun in my car and I'm possessing that car, Mississippi can try me as a felon in possession of a firearm one time. Uh, if it is found not guilty, it can come back and try me again. Um, and that's a concept that's easy for everyone to understand, and which is why it's on the TV shows that the state, the sovereign, gets one bite at the apple to try to uh, enforce a law and convict someone for, for a violation of law. Where it gets somewhat um, complicated um, or, or not as straightforward is that we are um, a system of several sovereigns. We have the state sovereigns, the state of Mississippi is a sovereign. And then we had a federal government that's a sovereign also. So the issue that has arisen, that arose earlier this year in the Supreme Court was, what if one of the sovereigns, in this case was Alabama, tries someone or convicts someone for an, um, an offense, can the federal government then try him for the same offense? Here's the word offense. And this is the case of Gamble versus United States. And Mr. Gamble was similar to the example I gave with myself. Uh, he was a felon, you know, prior felony conviction. He was driving a car in Alabama, and he got stopped in a traffic stop. And the police officer smelled marijuana. He asked to search the car, search the car, and found a fully loaded Glock 9mm in the car. So under those circumstances, Mr. Gamble was in violation of the law to prohibit felons from having a firearm. So they, they tried him there. He actually played guilty. And, and I think Mr. Gamble thought, well, that's going to be it. And then the federal picked up the charge, too. And it's a federal offense, similar to the state offense. 
that prohibits people with prior felony convictions from possessing uh, ammunition, or in this case, a weapon. And Mr. Gamble said, well, you can't try me. I've already been tried and say guilty of this offense in Alabama. And um, the federal prosecutor said, well, we can under this dual, what's called a dual sovereignty theory of double jeopardy. So Mr. Gamble pled guilty in federal court and he said, look, but I want to reserve my right to have this tested uh, by the courts. And he said, you can't try me again for the same incident that I was already tried for in Alabama. And that's double jeopardy. And this, I guess you're not a constitutional, I don't know if you're a constitutional scholar, but for this to be in the Constitution, this was important to our founding members. It, it very much was so. And in fact, that came out in the opinion uh, that was written by uh, the majority opinion was by Justice Alito and also dissent by when Thomas had a different issue on this end, the Sampa, then Ginsburg, Justin Ginsburg and Gorsuch uh, had uh, uh, dissenting opinions also. And he looked into the, the, the history, uh, they went all the way back to England, and it came down to the different uh, interpretations of that history. But the majority said that the Fifth Amendment were very specific. They used the word offense. An offense is a violation of the law, and the sovereign creates the law. And therefore, they interpreted the Fifth Amendment as saying you can only be tried once for an offense, and that is different from if the Fifth Amendment had said for an incident or a fact pattern. So they interpreted offense meaning a violation of the law, laws are created by the sovereign, and therefore they came up with what's called a dual sovereignty concept that, yes, uh, there's nothing prohibiting one state government as sovereign from prosecuting someone, and then another sovereign, meaning the federal government, for prosecuting the same offense. That was the majority opinion. And they also had some precedent, other cases, earlier cases, called antebellum cases from before the Civil War, that had upheld this dual sovereignty exception to double jeopardy. Well, Hans, when you, when you talk about an offense, what does that mean? So let's say that I, um, the prosecutor wants to prosecute me for homicide, um, and yet, uh, he, you know, maybe I, he also wants to prosecute me for involuntary manslaughter. Would those be two separate offenses? Would they all be part of the same offense? That could be the same. It depends on what's called lesser included offenses. So the elements of one crime, say, for example, manslaughter, are part of the element of the greater crime, then I as a prosecutor had to pick. I, I either go for manslaughter or I go for homicide if those are the elements that are the same in both offenses. So double jeopardy can come into play in terms of what we call lesser included offenses and the major offense as well. But then the minority, the, the dissent, took a different view. And they said, well, the sovereignty, we are different, going back to the history, that the sovereignty for England really emanated from the king down to the people. And then what we found in our nation, we flipped that around, is that the sovereignty comes from the people. And they, they look back to the history, as the dissent, the losing side in the Supreme Court opinion, and they look back to the writings, for example, the Federalist Papers, Alexander Hamilton, I think in number 82, he spoke about the sovereignty rising up from the people, emanating to one whole. And from that whole, we had the state and the federal. So, their interpretation was that the Fifth Amendment would prohibit one prosecution by the state and a successive prosecution for the same occurrence by the federal uh, uh, sovereign. But in this case, uh, the majority 
one out, and, and that has been the, the precedent and the law for, for a long time, that there's an exception to double jeopardy in terms of bringing a prosecution that a state sovereign, a state government can bring a prosecution, and that the federal government can bring the same prosecution for the same offense. It's in a different jurisdiction, different sovereign, and therefore there's an exception to double jeopardy. But as a whole, je- double jeopardy prohibits the government from repeatedly going after one citizen. And, and the thinking there is, this was enunciated by Justice Gorsuch in, in his dissent, the imbalance between the government and the lone citizen is so huge that it's every free people's worst nightmare if the government can keep on coming after you again and again and again for the same offense. So that's the concept of double jeopardy. All right. Well, we will get more into some of the exceptions of double jeopardy when we come back from our break. If you have a question about the laws concerning double jeopardy and prosecutions, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. As Professor Gershon said, Professor Sinha has participated with us on In Legal Terms on some very interesting topics. We'll tell you about those shows when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at In Legal Terms mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're so glad to have Professor Hans Sinha with us. And on In Legal Terms broadcast, Gerrymandering, which aired on September 4th of 2018, and Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes, whereas Professor Gershon mentioned we talked about the Emmett Till case, that was broadcast on April 24th of 2018. We're pleased that Professor Sinha is able to join us today to discuss Double Jeopardy. Thank you, Liz. Let's talk about some of the exceptions to double dip, double jeopardy. What are those? Yes, yeah, so, so and I think this, this case was really more um, uh, more of a legal term. So when people think about double jeopardy, it means you know when can they not? I mean, the government retry me. So um, th- there are some. Uh, well, first, double jeopardy sets in at different times. So if I'm being tried by a jury. When we swear to a jury, double jeopardy begins. So at that point, even if the government dismisses a charge after we did the first witness, double jeopardy said in they can retry me. In a judge trial, it's typically when the first witness is sworn. So when double jeopardy sets in, is an important uh, aspect. It is also probably 95% of our criminal cases end in a plea bargain. 
or the defendant pleads guilty, double jeopardy sets in when the court accepts that plea from both the state and the defense, the prosecution defense. So that's when it, when it starts. There is a fundamental, not really an exception, but a, a side issue to double jeopardy, and that's if, um, say, I'm prosecuted and I'm convicted, and I think there was an error in my trial, I will take an appeal to an appellate court. And if that court then reverses my case, the government can retry me. So that, in, in a way, is an exception to double jeopardy. It's not a technical, but in general. So if I'm convicted, my conviction is set aside, of course, the prosecutor can retry me. The only exception there is if the appellate court looks at my case and it say there just wasn't enough evidence to convict them. There was an insufficient evidence. Then the government cannot retry me because that would be double jeopardy. Uh, there's another issue that comes up, and it's come up a couple times um, uh, recently, most recently in the Curtis Flowers example, which is where a gentleman's being tried potentially for the seventh time for the same crime. And I think most people who hear that say, well, how come double jeopardy hasn't stopped that? Isn't that trying the person for the same offense multiple times? And, and this involves where either a conviction is reversed, which happened in Curtis Flowers' case, or when there's a mistrial. And the second of those two is a mistrial. So if I'm trying a case as a prosecutor and an error occurs during the trial of such gravity, the court says, well, we can't have a fair trial anymore. I declare a mistrial. Generally, I can then, as a prosecutor, retry that. I can say, fine, judge, it's dismissed or it's a mistrial. Um, we'll come back next month and try another, another jury. The exception to that is if I'm the prosecutor and if I cause the mistrial deliberately, if, if I, in essence, do some prosecutorial misconduct that causes the mistrial, then it's a basic fairness issue, and the defendant should not have to be tried again for the same offense because I'm the one who messed up. But that's an unusual circumstance. It has to be prosecutorial misconduct or an intentional causing of a mistrial by the prosecutor. In the Curtis Flowers case, I think most people, sometimes you will say, well, if double jeopardy means something, how come he can be tried seven times? Well, that's because the prior cases, convictions ended in reverses by telecourts, and this latest one all the way by the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, or by mistrials. Um, but, but I think that also brings up the, the power of the prosecutor. When I was a prosecutor, was a gentleman who was tried four times. He was convicted of murder. So it was reversed. Then it was tried a second time. Uh, in fact, my wife was also prosecuted tried the second time, and it was a hung jury. Tried him again a third time. It was a hung jury. Trying to force time as a hung jury. At that point, the prosecutor said, "You know, I could legally keep trying him 50 times. I can keep him in jail by just trying him, but I will never get a conviction." The prosecutor has to, as Justice Jackson said, "You have a lot of power as a prosecutor, but you have a lot of you have a duty also to inject a sense of fairness." And at that point, the prosecutor's office in that case, we said, "That's it. We're not going to. We could try him again, but we're not going to." And we have a duty to to be fair to our citizens too. Well, you touched on this, you know, the same offense kind of idea. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What when would uh, it, crimes be lesser included offenses that would have to be tried at the same time, or they'd be double jeopardy if we tried the person separately? Yes, yeah, so it's a complicated issue. But so, in, in, in for each crime, there is lesser included offenses, meaning that, for example, if I'm charging someone with armed robbery, 
a lesser included offense, but that would be taking from somebody, taking something from somebody using a weapon, for example. A lesser included offense could be first degree robbery, which in some states might be without a weapon, or it could be simple robbery, just taking it through for intimidation, depending on the state's charges, the state's statutes. So sometimes it can be a lesser included offense that might be prohibited by prohibiting me from bringing the larger charge. So if I'm a smart defendant and, and a prosecutor's not paying attention, say I know I committed armed robbery, but the prosecutor charged me with simple robbery, I'll go ahead and plead a simple robbery right away. And once they then realize I actually committed armed robbery, I can say, well, similar offenses, that's included, and you can't try me for armed robbery. So that depends on the statutory definitions for the crimes in each state. But double jeopardy may come into play with lesser included offenses as well. So. But as a whole, I think what people consider is double jeopardy is this concept that the government should not be able to try me again and again for the same offense. And going back to Justice Borchardt's opinion, he says the imbalance of power between the sovereign, the government, and the citizens is what cost our founding fathers to put this in the Fifth Amendment. They want to make sure that the citizens were not again and again brought to trial by an overbearing government. So that, that was a fundamental thinking, uh, some people say, for the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, but, but Hans, does that uh, kind of cut against them, the Supreme Court ruling and this whole line of history where the state of Mississippi could prosecute you for the same crime you were prosecuted federally? And it would not be double jeopardy. I mean, that's right. And that's what the Supreme Court said in Gamble versus the United States. It said because we adhere to what we call the dual sovereign, meaning that we are separate sovereigns. Mississippi is a separate sovereign from the federal government. And therefore, there's a dual sovereignty exception to double jeopardy. And that's why they held that under those circumstances, double jeopardy did not apply. Uh, if you read opinion, it's, it's a well-reasoned opinion, of course, uh, but I think as a layperson, people kind of scratch their heads and say, well, if, if, if double jeopardy means anything, why would it not apply here? But that's the way the Supreme Court came down. And they also had, again, precedent. They had cases going back to uh, before the Civil War that had examined this and said, no, we are a nation of dual sovereignty, federal and state governments. You know, it's, it's an interesting decision, no question about that. Um, now, what, is, what effect does that have? Um, there's some discussion that maybe uh, uh, there are some uh, crimes now that prosecutors and states are considering going uh, after people around the president, for example, who were uh, maybe acquitted or if they were pardoned at, at the federal level, could they be tried at the state level? Yeah, and that's, um, that's a dual charm again, uh, meaning that... Um, uh, in terms of pardon, the, the president has a federal pardon, but he cannot pardon state courts. So um, if, if someone is charged and pleads guilty, uh, double jeopardy sets in in that sovereign, that jurisdiction. So, for example, there's been a couple of people been charged by the special prosecutor to plead guilty in federal court. Well, then the state can still bring those charges or the same charges based on the same facts in a different sovereign. And, and I think the example here is what, what's going on by um, the special prosecutor took some pleas from some people in federal court and now the state of New York is looking at the similar conduct and possibly charging those in state court. 
um, so, so that's a, a dual sovereignty. It carries over into the international arena as well. Uh, and the thinking being that um, in some circumstances, if someone kills an American abroad, um, we can prosecute that person, those killers. We had to bring him here to, to our jurisdiction. Then we can, under certain laws, uh, federal laws, prosecute him under certain circumstances. The dual sovereignty concept comes in. They're saying that, say, for example, someone is killed in Bolivia. I'm just taking Bolivia now. And the Bolivian government doesn't go after the killers of the American citizens there. The dual sovereignty says, well, they're a sovereign nation, but we can, as an exception to double jeopardy, prosecute them here in the United States as well. But internationally, there's another issue. It's jurisdictional also, um, uh, in terms of what we have jurisdiction over the crime also. Now, I think in mind, this is probably something we're going to have to get into in the next segment because we probably will take a break soon. But what about, uh, I mean, is, is there re- a reason to scrap the prohibition against double jeopardy? Do you think from a policy point of view that would be helpful or harmful? Well, I think that depends where you fall in the political, not a political, in the, the your thinking in terms of the balance between the people and the government. Um, so if, if you believe that the power should emanate from the people, then I think you're a little more fearful of giving the government uh, this power to um, successively, meaning success again and again, um, prosecute um, a citizen. Uh, and and the, the power that the government has, the ultimate power, is removing someone's freedom and or life through a legal system. So if you want to rein in the government and the power that that government has, I think people might fall on the side of the dissent, the losing side of the Supreme Court opinion here, and, and say, well, we need to have a double jeopardy. We need to get away from this um, dual sovereignty exception. Um, if you believe not the opposite, but a little differently, that we were founded as two separate sovereigns or several sovereigns, and there are diff- different governments, so to speak, the state and the federal, which is part of our foundation also, then the dual sovereignty exception um, makes sense. Professor uh, yeah. Uh, Professor Sinha, from the from a constitutional point of view, is the dual sovereignty just case law and history, or is that also a part of the Fifth Amendment? So if they wanted to change and do away with the dual sovereignty, would it take um, uh, repealing part of the Fifth Amendment, or would it be, just be a separate uh, congressional act? Well, no, it would have been the additional interpretation. So if, if um, I think it was a 5-4, but say, say two more justices had agreed with uh, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Gorsuch uh, in, in this last opinion, they would have then uh, have set aside precedent that upheld and found the dual sovereignty, and they could have then found that the Fifth Amendment means um, that you cannot be tried twice by the state or the federal government. So in other words, the words dual sovereignty do not, do not exist in the Fifth Amendment. That has been an interpretation how to interpret the word offense in the Fifth Amendment. So it would not be uh, a constitutional amendment. It would not be a congressional act. The, the Supreme Court had this opportunity to, to interpret the Fifth Amendment differently uh, had they so chose to do so this year, and they chose not to do so. Uh, that said, of course, you know, if, if the people want, they could pass an amendment saying that this means so and so, but that that is very unlikely. But right. it, 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 
changed through judicial interpretation this year, and it did not. Okay. Well, what about our laws compared to other countries? Do they have double jeopardy as we do? We'll find out when we come back from the break. We're talking with Professor Hans Sinha about double jeopardy in our prosecutorial system. Please give us a call if you'd like to ask a question about this topic. one 877 mpb ring That's one 877-672-7464. You could also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host, and we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Now, there are many different podcasting platforms. If you have an Apple phone, it comes already preloaded to your phone. If you have an Android, you just go to the Google Play Store to find one that you like. Download it to your phone. Touch the plus or some way to take you to a search for podcasts. Then type in In Legal Terms in the area. It brings up our show, In Legal Terms. You can touch the photo and to subscribe, and you can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. Podcasts are just ways to listen to programs on demand. They're just a bunch of audio out there in the world that you can listen to. Lots of different podcasting shows. Some are series like ours. Some are just one-time things. But the, if you haven't gotten into the podcasting world, there's quite a few things to look up about. One thing I want to make sure we do today is to thank our contributors. Last week, we worked on our MPB Think Radio pledge drive, and we want to thank all of our contributors who became sustaining members of our foundation, who made a one-time contribution, or who made an additional gift if they're already a contributor. We thank you so much. It's it's because of your generosity that we're able to bring you Think Radio. So we appreciate that. If you if you weren't around and you couldn't make a contribution last week, it's still up there. Go to mpbonline.org. Go to our website and just click support at the top of the page. This morning, we're talking about double jeopardy with our guest, Professor Hans Sinha. We we talked a little bit about double jeopardy. If uh, the example Professor Sinha gave, if someone happened to be uh, an American happened to be murdered in Bolivia, according to our laws, the Bolivian government could investigate and maybe try someone for that crime. But if it's an American citizen, because we have a different jurisdiction, we could also try the individuals for that crime if they came to the United States. But what about do other countries also have the concept of double jeopardy in their laws? Not to the same extent that we do, and, and there's a fundamental difference, and, and I'll mention that uh, in a moment, but looking at 
where our laws came from, which is the British system, which is the common law system, and then the, the continental European system, which is called the civil law system. So there's civil and criminal is one aspect, but then speaking of different types of, of uh, historical heritage, we have the common law system in England where the judges are more powerful and can interpret and, and create law. And then we have in continental Europe the civil law system, which is Scandinavia down through all of Europe uh, is, is part of the civil law system. And that's based upon going back to Roman tablets, 450 B.C., um, Emperor Justinian, and, and that spread through the civil law system uh, through um, it's called a codification, the Napoleon, Napoleonic Code. In that system, if I'm a prosecutor and I try someone and they're found not guilty, I can then appeal that not guilty to a higher court, and that higher court can re-examine the case, um, and they can actually retry it at a higher level. So they don't have the same prohibition for a prosecutor to ask a higher court to review the case. In our system, if I prosecute someone who's not guilty, it's over. I cannot, as a prosecutor, say, well, that was a horrendous verdict. They were just wrong. At public court, I want you to look at it again. They can do that. So in the civil law system, in the continental European system, they don't have the same prohibition of the prosecutor asking a higher court to, to review the case. And there's many reasons for that. We have primarily a jury system. They have uh, jurors who are more professional jurors and have judges. They have a mixed panel, and, and they can try case and then have a higher court look at it. And I think the case that may resonate with, with our, our listening public was it just last month, I guess, was a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a gentleman, uh, I think his name was A.K.A. Rocky. He is a musician in Sweden who was prosecuted there for uh, an assault charge. Um, they, they had a trial, and the court came back with a lesser verdict. And that's the thing. We're not going to find guilty of assault with a weapon. It's supposed to be in a glass bottle. We're just going to find assault, guilty of simple assault. The prosecutor in that case in Sweden had the option to appeal that not guilty verdict of the greater charge, assault with a glass bottle. He chose not to do so, but he had that option. In the U.S., because of double jeopardy had set in, I, as a prosecutor, would not have that option. So that's a fundamental difference between our system and a civil law system, continental civil law system. Well, in, in a way, I mean, it wasn't uh, part of the reason we had the uh, constitutional uh, prohibition against double jeopardy, really, to try to break away and, and have a new, form a new government that was different than uh, you know, the countries that we came from, including Great Britain. Right. Do you think that that, that was a re reaction to some of that? Yeah, and that's what um, uh, Mr. Gamble and his appeal and the dissent argued, that the reason we, we had a Declaration of Independence, for example, the reason we had these amendments was specifically to change how things had been done in um, the colonial times. And, and the outrage, there, there were some incidences where people were, were tried here and then brought back to England to be tried again, and the colonial people just thought that was unjust. So, so there is an argument that the reason we have double jeopardy was to change what had been done uh, in, the, in the past. But in terms of different uh, systems, I mean, there, there are different criminals or 
legal system across the world, and, and that is one of the fundamental differences between our system that we had this double jeopardy ban on successful prosecution and or an appeal from a not guilty, and that the civil law system in Europe, the prosecutor can appeal a not guilty. Um, so there's a fundamental differences in that aspect there. Well, that makes sense. And, and uh, you know, now you mentioned um, somebody gets a jury trial and the jury holds uh, in favor of the defendant. Therefore, the prosecutor cannot charge them again. Or right. But what if, what if, for example, the defendant later was found to have tampered with that jury? Yeah, and that's one of the exceptions to um, um, not trying someone again. It's a rare exception. But, but say, if I'm on trial on, on in a jury case, say for corruption, for example, and this came out of Cook County, so the famous cases, and I uh, in Chicago, and I I bribed the judge or I bribed the jurors. Well, I was never really in jeopardy because I had fixed the outcome before they came back with a verdict. So under that exception, um, if I'm found not guilty. And then we find out that I had engaged in this conduct involving the proceeding, the court proceeding itself, and generally driving the judge or driving the jury or affecting this certain way. Then uh, I was never injected. I went through the sham trial, but I knew all along what the verdict was going to be. Under those circumstances, I could then be brought back to trial by, by a, a very good prosecutor who found out all those things. Well, let's go to a, a movie plot. What if you don't know that it's a sham trial, but someone fixes it on behalf of you, would, and you think you're in jeopardy? Does, does that, I guess it's, it's you either are in jeopardy or you aren't? Yeah, I, I don't, is that a real movie? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll copyright it. Well, let's get our copyright thing. This, this, you know, this is my idea. If, if you don't know that uh, you're not in jeopardy because someone rigs the jury for you, then if you're held not guilty, right. could they still uh, try? Would, could they try you again? I would make the argument that yes, uh, the key is not whether I knew I was in jeopardy or not, the key would be whether I was in jeopardy. So if, if I'm working for an organization, for example, and the organization reaches out and touches the jurors or the judge in some way, and I don't know about it, but my, my, my backers make sure I never had a real trial, so to speak, I would think I could be tried again. Uh, and I think that's the way to move. We should end on that one. Okay. <laughs> well, this hour is going by so fast. We're going to learn some more about what prosecutors can and cannot do when we come back from our break. But we've got just a few more minutes. If this has been intriguing to you and you have a question, we would love for you to participate with us. Our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You could also send us an email to legal terms at mpbonline.org. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. In legal terms on MPB Think Radio. 
Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. It's also available on our podcasts. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I would like to remind all of our listeners that our laws are often made by elected officials, from judges to legislative representatives. So please make sure you are registered and then go and vote on November 5th. We're talking with Professor... Hans Sinha, who is a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. He's also a former prosecutor from the New Orleans area. All right. Now, Professor Sinha, this is this is just me. Luckily, most of my experience with the legal system has been through TV and movies. I've luckily not have to. Oh, I was on jury duty, too. So I guess that also. So uh, let's let's go to the movie. If I am convicted and I serve a term for murdering my husband, but then it turns out that, oh, he was wily and he really wasn't dead, can I then, if I choose to kill him, not get uh, prosecuted again? Uh, If you were convicted of his murder, uh, but somehow he he was not killed, um, and then I think this is more of a movie than a real life situation. Uh, but sorry. Yeah, this is this is definitely the movie with um, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, one of the Judd girls. Ashley Judd. I think it was Ashley Judd. That's right. It was called. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I, I didn't see that movie. And I hate to speculate, but if you're convicted of a crime. Um, I, I would assume that you could not be prosecuted again. But again, if, if, this, if you were part of gaming the system, so to speak, um, that, that might be part of the exception to double jeopardy. All right. So, Professor Sinha, uh, tell us more about uh, prosecutors and what kind of um, what kind of power, what kind of leeway they have on uh, uh, the appeal or an acquittal of a defendant. Yeah, I think this is important. This is why double jeopardy as a whole does not become a problem, is that prosecutors have enormous amount of power, uh, but they have to wield that power with with uh, a basic fairness uh, in mind. And that's what many times prosecutors are called. Justice Jackson's a famous speech that he was a Supreme Court justice and Nuremberg prosecutor. He said, prosecutors really are ministers of justice. They, they serve everyone. Everyone is their constituent, the defendant, the victim, the uh, the people. So the prosecutor has this enormous power, and uh, he or she has to wield it uh, fairly. And, and many times, the prosecutor will not go after someone, even though they could, if that person's been convicted in a different jurisdiction. So it's an, it's an unusual circumstance where we will have this dual sovereignty, meaning two sovereigns prosecute the same person for the same crime. And that's why this is not generally an issue, because the prosecutors say, why should I spend my resources? The guy was already convicted in Alabama 
Alabama, for example, he's serving time there. I got plenty of other things in my plate. It's when the prosecutor becomes more vindictive and a persecutor, he says, I'm going to go after this guy again and again and again, that there may be an abuse. So the double jeopardy issue does not arise that much specifically because prosecutors as a whole are good people, are fair people, and wield the power they have in a judicious and a fair, fair manner. And in fact, Hans, the rules of professional ethics, actually, there's a special section for prosecutors. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that only prosecutors, there, there's rules that govern the legal profession called rules of professional conduct. And there's a special rule, rule 3.8, that specifically deals with the special responsibilities of a prosecutor. And there's no such rule for family lawyers, for tax lawyers, for example, only for prosecutors. And that's because we as a nation, through our legal profession, recognize enormous power that prosecutors have. And with enormous power, you can do enormous good, but you can also do enormous harm. So there's a special rule that governs and reigns us in as prosecutors, and for good reason. And I understand we have a call there? Well, the call's not quite ready, but Professor Sinha, double jeopardy doesn't, I guess the correct word is attach. Um, you can have civil and criminal trials. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, this, this is only speaking about criminal, meaning I'm going to deprive you of your liberty or, or your money processions through the criminal system or of your life. But if, if I have, say, I'm a victim of an armed robbery and I was shot, the government will prosecute a person to armed rob me. But I can also civilly sue the person who, who inflicted that injury on me in a civil court. That is not double jeopardy. All right. We because do. Okay, we do have a call. We're going to go to William in Starkville. William, thank you so much for calling our show and being a part of In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, you had a hypothetical a few minutes ago of uh, uh, murdering one's husband, and uh, I guess he, all the evidence just pointed that way, and there was no no uh, uh, corpus delecti, no body was found. So you, you suggested that you were committed uh, and... Or found, uh, and if he was found alive, could you could you kill him and, and be immune from further prosecution? Probably for I wanted to just comment that probably for murder you couldn't be prosecuted again, but you certainly could be tried for manslaughter the second time around, or perhaps other alternatives uh, that uh, you're not protected from because of the murder trial. Anyway, I just wanted to make that comment that came to mind, and you may have already talked about that, but trying to find your phone number, I didn't uh, watch a few moments of the program. Anyway, good luck. Thank you. All right, William, we appreciate you calling in today. Uh, so, Professor Sinha, you were talking about how if uh, the, there, there are separate, you could have separate uh, proceedings for criminal and for civil. All right. We seem to have lost our uh, our experts while we were taking the phone calls. But we want to remind all of you that if you would like to go back and hear more of our program, you can listen to it later this afternoon. Our, our show will be on our podcast. You can find that at inlegalterms.com. 
mpbonline.org. You can also listen to us from the MPB Public Media app. You can also listen to us from our podcast, from the podcasting platform that you have on your smartphone or on your smart device. We thank Professor Hans Sinha for participating in our show, and we thank Professor Richard Gershon, both of them from the University of Mississippi School of Law. That's wrapping us up for In Legal Terms today. Our call screener today has been our volunteer, Janet, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. We appreciate you listening to our show. Up next is our Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.